Hi, my name is Richard Sefton and this is my podcast, State of Mind, with me, Richard Sefton. Talking to a neighbour, a friend, a stranger doesn't have to be laborious, it doesn't have to be boring. Um, I find out through my podcast series what makes people tick and I found out some really interesting things. Today I'm sat with David Hansen who is a former Labour MP and this conversation is riveting and I know I say that about all my conversations but hey, they all are, so go back, listen to them all, but uh, for now, listen to this one and I hope you enjoy it. I'm joined today by Sir David Hansen, not only an MP for nearly 30 years, but my MP for two of those. Recently knighted for political service and rightly so in my opinion. David, how are you? I'm very well, thanks Richard. How are you this morning? I'm, I'm, I'm lovely, thank you. It's a lovely sunny day here in Flintshire. So, um, and are you in Flintshire yourself? I am in Flintshire. I'm sitting in uh, my house in uh, Flint in North Wales and the sun is shining and uh, all's well. So you're not too far away from me. I'm, not, I'm up near Mould. Just, um, yeah. I don't know, 10 minutes drive? Yeah, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. If you're, you're Leeswood, are you? Believe Leeswood, me. yeah. So just yeah, yeah, outside, no, no. just just into the hills. And it's it's beautifully sunny, really. Um, yeah, yeah. I've not been well, outside can, yet, so it's probably freezing. I can look out of my bedroom window. I'm facing the other way. So I look out my bedroom window and I see the Wirral and Merseyside from where I am. So, oh, uh, nice. A nice view of Parkgate. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've got Parkgate and I can see across the Wirral into just see the two Liverpool cathedrals in the distance if I go upstairs. It's beautiful, isn't it? When it's a clear day and you can see all of that. Or if you're driving over, is it Pendrahalkin? And you look to the yeah, yeah. to the right. Yeah. I love that stretch of road. And you can just yeah, see yeah. all the way across to Liverpool. And on a clear day, you can see even further. You can see the, the, the mountains in the, in the distance. You can. Speaking yeah. of Liverpool, I spoke to Edwina Curry a few episodes back. Um, very interesting lady. How much do you think your birth city, birth city rather, shaped you as a person? Um... I think I think it, I don't think it's so much the city because I, I left Liverpool when I was seven, okay. um, but the experiences of uh, being in Liverpool uh, as a whole still um, obviously resonated through me. I mean, w- 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 I mean, some some of the political experiences that I didn't realise at the time were political experiences impacted upon my my life. I mean, for example, I mean, this is it's not going to sound like I lived in a paper bag, but when, when I was born, my dad was a, a miner. Um, my mum and he worked in a colliery just outside Liverpool in, in Cronton near uh, Widnes. Mm. My mum worked in a biscuit factory in Liverpool in Jacobs Biscuits, and they couldn't afford a house of their own, so we lived in my grandparents' council house um, in the centre of Liverpool. So in in the three bedroom council house that we had in Liverpool. Uh, in 1960, when my sister was born, I was born in 1957. So in 1960, when my sister was born, mm. in the three-bedroom council house, we had my grandmother and grandparents in one bedroom. We had my mum and dad in another bedroom. We had my sister with my mum and dad in another bedroom. And then I was in the third bedroom with my uncle, Jeff, who had lived at home with his parents. Uh, so it's my dad's brother and the thing. So we had a very sort of crowded house. And I lived for the whole of my seven years in Liverpool, in, in that property with my grandparents, my uncle, my parents and my sister wow. in, in the three bedroom council house. And with my dad then had an industrial injury, broke his back, couldn't work anymore uh, at, as, a, as, a, as a minor and then had you know six to nine months in hospital. My mum was uh, was struggling to you know, keep employment, keep the thing together. Wow. And then we got a we got a, a council house of our own mm. uh, built in a town called Winsford. Um, and we moved, you know, to the liberating experience of having a home of your own. So I suppose the the growing up in Liverpool, Liverpool is a very community-centred city, 
But I suppose yeah. for me, you know, things like the importance of social housing, the importance of employment, the importance of the health service, mm. those are things that you know I learned in Liverpool, which are, uh, have taken me through my life, but which are not necessarily Liverpool-based things, but actually happened to our family in Liverpool. So would you say family means more to you than the average person because of that? That base. Up well, until well, seven. I mean, the, the, the family is very important. I mean, I grew up with, uh, you know, I mean, it's small things. I grew up with my, my granddad, who I lived with for seven years and, you know, loved dearly. He'd been, he was a veteran of World War One, and he'd been wounded in World War One. I. I knew the experiences he'd had. Uh, he'd met uh, my uncle, who I shared a bedroom with for seven years. The reason he was at home with my grandparents was because uh, he, he'd served in the Second World War and, and had been, uh, you know, really mentally scarred by it and, and, and didn't want to go out anymore. Stayed at home with his parents when he came back from the Second World War. Um, it, it's amazing my, when know, I my, speak to somebody like like yourself, yeah. and then you realise how close the World Wars actually were. They weren't that long ago, were they? No, God, no, no. I mean, my granddad, my granddad died in 1977, and I was 19. So I was born in 1957. Hmm. My mum. My mum was a refugee to Wales in the Second World War. She was you know, shipped out to uh, near Wrexham in, in World War Two. My dad was, was not old enough to serve in the Second World War, but his brother, Jeff, who I shared the bedroom with for, you know, for seven years, served for the whole time in the Second World War and was really mentally scarred by it. So mm-hmm. you know, it, it's around. I, I can remember my granddad just as a little you know, side thing. I remember my granddad sitting by the fire one day pulling a piece of shrapnel out of his chin. Oh my God! Uh, putting it in, putting it in the side of a little can that he had by the side of the the fire because he'd been blown up in World War One, had been injured, and every now and then a piece of shrapnel would come out of his face. Wow. And you know, growing up like that, um, you know, even for me, little things like that, you know, remember with me later in life when we had the European Union debate. Many people were arguing about immigration and about employment and about everything else. I was thinking, you know, wasn't it great that? Uh, mm. That my granddad, who'd fought in the First World War, and my uncle, who'd been injured in the Second World War, now had representatives in the same parliament as the Germans, uh, mm-hmm. dealing with you know, cross-European issues. So that, that for me, was uh, was much more important, even than you know some of the things that people were debating today. Yeah, my my granddad fought in the Second World War, and I'm told that when we joined the Europe, well, whatever it was called then, was it the EEC? Um, yeah. I'm told that he that he wept tears of joy. Because he didn't ever yeah, think no. that that would happen in his lifetime. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's just the the idea that my granddad uh, would have been, you know, wounded by Germans in World War One. Mm-hmm. My uh, other grandfather, my mum's dad, was killed in the Second World War in a bombing raid in Liverpool. Uh, and the idea that I, that, I, that I could vote for people to sit in the same parliament as the Germans and look at you know, cross European issues and that the historic enmities that had occurred between Britain and France, Britain and Germany, France and Germany, Italy and Britain, you know, uh, we were ending, and that we could have a wider European Union that encompassed the Eastern Europeans who, you know, even until 25, 30 years ago were behind a, an iron curtain. That, mm. that was an amazing thing. That was a political project that I found very exciting. So that, in a sense, you go back to your first question, Richard, what did Liverpool give me? Liverpool gave me the value of social housing, the value of the health service, the value of full employment, the value of peace and prosperity. And those are important things. Oh, this is a nice conversation. I like this. <laughs> I like this. Um, I said in the introduction, um, you've been an MP. You were an MP for nearly thirty years, and you 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 tried a few times before that. So, what were your reasons yes. for wanting to be a politician? Well, 
I mean, I did, you end up being an MP, Richard, but I didn't. I didn't start in life to be an MP. I joined the Labour Party when I was seventeen years old because I shared the values of the Labour Party. The estate I grew up in um, had values around it that were community, that were socially orientated. My next door but one neighbour was the local Labour councillor. You know, it was part of our community, and I joined the Labour Party. And like everything else, you know, you, you don't end up being the head teacher of the school when you go on your first lesson as mm. a teacher. You end up doing that because you've done a lot of things and you've been good at it. So uh, I, I ended up being an MP because I'd committed myself to working for the Labour Party. And as it happens, the Labour Party meant that I was a you know, minute secretary, then I was assistant minute secretary, then I was chairman, then I was standing for a local council, then I got elected to the local council, then I stood for parliament and lost, and then you know, I stood for European and lost, and I stood for parliament again and lost, and I stayed on the council, and I eventually won the parliamentary seat. So what wanted me, well, what, what was my motivation to be an MP was the Labour Party's values that I shared and wanted to see in practice, and it happened to be that ultimately I ended up you know, having the, the drive and the very good luck to get myself in a position where I was a member of parliament. Mm, for 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 a long time. Uh, what did you study at university then? I did drama, believe it or not. Okay. Which was because uh, if you go back to when I was a kid, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to do that, and that's partly inspired. Again, if you go back to Liverpool, I was going to say you, you were don't realize born this, in a very exciting talking. time for Liverpool. I yeah, well, I'm saying when you go back to Liverpool, I remember my dad saying to me, you know, uh, the Beatles, oh, they're they're from here. They they mm. live around the corner. You know, they're, they're they're local to us, and this is when the you know, they first started. Mm-hmm. So there was that sort of aspiration element that, you know, they can do that. So you still can you if you want to. So I, I decided I wanted to be an actor for whatever reason. And I found I was good at that at school. And I went off and I did drama at university. But when I got to university, a whole range of other things happened. I got my drama degree. I qualified. I did the whole thing. But I actually got involved in, you know, the student politics. I got involved in the Labour Party a bit more. I've joined the Labour Party back home. And those type of things sort of... Uh, got more important to me than the drama side and I also found actually that you know my drama degree um, the people who did it were probably better at the drama side of it than I was you know I had people who uh, ended up presenting Blue Peter in my course really? I had people who ended up uh, writing uh, part of the Indiana Jones cycle on my course I had a guy who won an Oscar on my course wow for, uh, <laughs> uh, and you know uh, and I, I, I decided about two years in actually um uh, I'm actually enjoying politics more, and I might be able to make a success of it a bit more. So I'm going to go for that instead. I mean, I, I mean, wow! What a success! <laughs> if you want to study drama, go to uh, go to Hull. Was it Hull? Well, it was it was Hull University. There was only eight of us on the course, and um, on the course at university, say Sarah Green was on, who used to present Blue Peter. Mm. A guy called Tony Mingella was on, who directed The English Patients and won an Oscar for yeah. it. Uh, we had a guy called Matthew Jacobs, who's uh, still in Hollywood now doing script writing and acting, and he, <laughs> he helped contribute to the Indiana Jones cycles as a script writer. And a guy called Colin Bloom now, who's a theatre director in uh, London, but also is most famously known for those older listeners as Taffy in The Bill. Uh, he did a lot of that. And then we had uh, you know, a couple of other people who, who did uh, who drama degrees and and drama actors a few people pop up now you know on television or on courses where they pop up in shows and they, they did you know it was a really great course and it was a great opportunity for me because uh, i left you know where i where i was and the estate i'd grown up in hmm. uh, having been encouraged to apply for the drama degree by teachers at my local school i left the estate i grew up in i went to hull um totally different city terribly homesick but actually mixed with a whole range of people i've never met before in my life 
who were you know from different backgrounds, different aspirations, and I got involved in the Labour Party in Hull, which uh, was was the link to back home, and that helped you know develop me personally. And uh, mm. turns out people you know wanted me to do other things, so I did. <laughs> you did them so well. Um, when you've done, what 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 brought you to like Flincher area then? Well, Flincher. Um, I mean, what brought me here? I mean, my, my dad, who I said earlier, had stopped being a miner. He, he he ended up moving when we moved to Winsford. He ended up working for the local bakery called Roberts Bakery, yeah. uh, which is just near Northwich. And uh, his bread bread delivery round was Mould, Buckley, Connors Key, and you know, sort of this area of, of Flincher. Didn't difficult and didn't cover Flint where I am now. Mm. But he had the bread delivery round, so he would you bring the bread over and deliver every day the bread to doors around the constituency or at least the southern half of the constituency and the yeah. northern half of Allen and Deeside. So I, I worked with him on a, on a, as a Saturday lad and um, I used to go and deliver bread on a Saturday around Mould particularly and up to Gwerner Minnith and down into sort of Leeswood, Suckland, North Up, which is all in the Delling constituency. So I knew the area well. And I'd fought mm. um, Eddersbury, which is the other side of Chester, and I'd fought uh, that in the general election in 83. And I'd fought Cheshire West in the European seat and lost both. And Delling came up one day. I saw Delling applying for a candidate. I thought, well, I know the area because I've delivered bread there every Saturday for four or five years with my dad. And my dad had been working there before he went to do his later job as a forklift truck driver. I knew the area. So I applied to be the candidate. And um, in 1986, I got selected as the candidate. And then um, I fought the seat in 87 and I lost. So only just. Uh, I was oh, only just, but I lost. Mm-hmm. And I was still living and being on the council just the other side of the border in, in Cheshire. But I applied again in 1990. And I had another two years as candidate. And then I won in 92. And we moved across when I won to live in the constituency. Because I think it's important that you live in the constituency yeah. that you represent. And we've been here now for 30 years. How did it feel to win? It uh, it was it, well. It was a very odd experience. I, I knew it, was, it was. I mean, you've got to remember. I, I I'd uh, been picked as a candidate for Parliament in 1981. First mm-hmm. of all, for the Edgeworth seat, and nine years later, I'd been elected to Parliament. And basically, for the whole of that nine years. I'd been involved as a candidate either in Edisbury or in Delhin to try and get elected to Parliament. I'd also gone through the whole of the 1980s with Mrs Thatcher and then John Major yeah. with a government I, I opposed bitterly. And to win the seat and to win it from a Conservative and to be a Labour MP was very exciting. And we won it on a day when other Labour MPs were elected for the first time. We'd won seats from Tories. But I actually went back to the House of Commons with um, a Conservative government and with John Major still as Prime yeah. Minister. So, mm. you know, it was personal success and it was personal effort that had gone into it and the party had put a lot of time in it. And I'd been the candidate in Delhin on and off for six and a half years. So that's quite a significant chunk of your life when you're also trying to hold down a job and my family was just being born and just got married. So that, that was quite a sort of tumultuous time. But we still were in opposition, so it, was, um, it wasn't mm. as great as it could have been. But you do, so you don't you don't mind a bit of hard work with the with the young family and everything, and then a few years later. Well, there was a time. I mean, the, 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 it's it's a, it was extremely hard work. Really was hard work, Richard. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what I say to anybody: you know, it's hard work, and sometimes it doesn't even pay off for people. I, I spent uh, I spent six and a half years effectively as Delling candidate before I was elected, and in that six and a half years, I was holding down a full time job, um, yeah. having to do that because that's what you have to do to. You know, live isn't it mm-hmm. i had i got married in 86 just three weeks after i was first selected 
we had three children in that six and a half years um, who you know were born during that time. I was also the ca- councillor in that time. I was leader of my local Labour group of 25 in that time. And I was trying to service the constituency by visiting and doing events on Saturdays and weekends. So, was, and, and I was, you know, what, what I would be, I'd be 27 through to 34 years wow. of age at the time so it was quite busy and it was busy you know politically it was busy professionally through work and it was busy on a private life through children and marriage and setting up a home and uh, and none of that was ever going to be necessarily resultant in being an mp you know it doesn't it, it might not have happened there were people i know who did the same who never got elected yeah. so uh, it's it's you know it, it's i always say to people you very often get asked how do you become an mp and i say first of all join the party you're committed to and then just work hard at it and do what you want. And it may or may not happen. It may or may not happen. Yeah. Well, yeah. If, yeah. If you think of how many people there are that might want to do that and then how many actual MPs there are um, in the House. Um, yeah. What are your memories of 1997 then? Do you do you remember yeah. it well? Or were you yeah, too... I do. Yeah. Well, I thought, well, the campaign felt um, better than I thought it was going to feel. But for me, it was my first defence as MP for Delhi. So I had a five-year record. Yeah. We didn't know it was going to be a landslide. We didn't know we were going to have a massive victory. Um, and for me, it was just you know, basically stay at home in the constituency, knock on doors, talk to people, and hope for the best. As it happened, you know, we, I went from a 2,000 majority to a 13,000 majority in Delhi. Wow. And we had seats that we didn't expect to win, that we won. And we had a government for the first time. And again, you know... Um, and that's really important for me because I'd spent five years, you know, where the, the local coal mine had closed, where minimum wage wasn't in place, where you know, schools were being reduced, health service was being reduced. And if you go back to Parliament with the full excitement of being able to go and vote for a minimum wage, vote for devolution, vote for reform of the Lords, vote for a, a new settlement on public spending and taxation. So for me, it was absolutely an exciting time. And in the first year, I was in the Treasury working with Alistair Darling, and then I got a job in the Whips office in the second year. And uh, it was an opportunity for me to not just be the MP, but also then to be part of a government hmm. that was uh, delivering and transforming. Who did you have the better relationship with, Tony Blair or Gordon Brown? Um, I, I got on with them both, actually. I mean, I served, um, I served what, 10 years, well, nine years as a minister with under Tony, mm-hmm. and I served... Uh, the last three years of the government with with Gordon. Um, I mean, I voted for Tony for to, for leader in '94, and uh, I worked very closely with him as uh, leader from 2001 to 2005 when I worked in Downing Street with him. Um, yeah. I got on with them both, uh, uh, you know, fine. But I, I, in '94, I wanted Tony to be the leader, and I think he was the person who, um, once John Smith had died, yeah. was the person who would uh, get us into government and. Um, uh, I worked with Gordon in the Treasury in 97, 98 with Alistair Darling and I worked uh, obviously with Gordon when I was a minister in his government from 97 to uh, some 2007 to 2010 and they're both uh, good, committed, forward-looking, principled people um, mm. who, d- who did a good job. Have you been watching that series on, on TV at the minute? I have. Blair I have. I watched I it because you, you tend to watch it. And then also, I watched it because it's interesting and it's funny to find yourself as part of history now. But it's, I was, also I, well, I, it I was just literally thinking that. I, I'm getting goose pimples because I'm talking to somebody that is a part of history. I said a similar thing to Edwina Curry. I'm talking to somebody that has shaped the country 
for, you know, for right well, or wrong. Well, it's very odd because, you know, uh, if you, uh, this is to show you how, how big an ego MP still have. If you go to the end of episode three or the start of episode four, I do appear a little bit in the background. I don't do any interviews, but I was working with Tony. I get into the car, I come out of Downing Street, I'm in the corridors of the Commons, and I'm behind him and he's speaking as uh, Prime Minister because that time I was uh, working in Downing Street as his Parliamentary Private Secretary for the bulk of that period, 2125. Hmm. And... Uh, it was interesting times, and you, you see what's going on behind the scenes, and you see what's going on, uh, um, it, you know, how, how it impacts upon the public perception. So for the right MP then, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd hope that it's most MPs. It's more than a job. It's, it's, oh, it's a not vocation, it's, it's, it's a, a lifestyle. No, no, oh, no, this is not, it's not, never a job. Mm. It was always a vocation for me and a lifestyle. You, you, you can, I mean, I, I would spend, this is, you know, putting to God, I would be in London Monday to Thursday, four days a week, 40 weeks a year. I would come back on Thursday night. I'd have all day Friday, including Friday night, doing constituency duties. I'd have all day Saturday, probably most weeks, doing something constituency-wise. When I was a minister, I'd have boxes arriving on Saturday to do work. On Sundays, you've got Civic Sundays. You'd have your concerts to go to. You'd have events to do. It's a full-time job, which encompasses you know, your whole life. And um, there's uh, you've got to love it to do it. And that's why, again, you know, even now, as, as we're talking, Richard, I'm not sure where this is going now, but as we're talking today, there's discussions about, you know, MPs and second jobs and money and everything else. For me, it was a mm-hmm. full-time job. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I never did it for the money. I took a pay cut when I first got elected. I wasn't doing it for the money. I was doing it for the vocation and, uh, you know, giving all my time to the job as, as a member of parliament for the area. Are we, are we missing Prime Minister's questions as we speak? We are, we are. Oh, it's a good are. job I've got it on the series link. It's my favourite programme of the week. Yeah, we can watch it later on. I'm sure it'd be, uh, it should be interesting. <laughs> I um, think it will be today. But, but we are, we are missing this as we speak, uh, which gives a clue to the listeners that this is twelve o'clock on a Wednesday, <laughs> Definitely. Uh, and it's in the week of uh, sort of end, middle of November time in two thousand and uh, in the week of sleeves. That's where we are. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's one of those. I mean, it's. Uh, it's an interesting. It's, it's always an interesting time, and I, I think you know. This is this is just my plea to people, whoever is listening to this, is to say, look, MPs are human beings. They work full time at the job. Most of them, they're committed to it. They've not gone into it for the money. Most of them, because they've actually, you know, given up careers, and some of them don't even know how long that last life's going to last because the, you can be in for five years. I've yeah. known people who've done for five or ten and been out, and have lost their you know earning capacity that they had outside when they've been in Parliament. So. Um, people do it for the right reasons and whatever you're hearing about sleaze and second jobs most MPs of both parties main parties do this for the right reasons yeah I was going to actually ask about that Um, how much does it affect your mental health knowing that you are doing more than a job like you say a vocation but that it could end every four or five years well, I, I never worried about that too much. I never worried about the losing because you take it on and you know you're going to lose. Well, well, what what does impact upon your mental health sometimes is uh, is the criticism that you might get um, mm. or the the attacks. And, and particularly, I found this in the latter half of my time in Parliament. You know, when we had Facebook and social media and those types yeah. of pressures as well. Th- th- those that was much more live and in your face than it was when I was first elected. Let's give an example, Richard. I, I just this is just a this, it's not a real example, but it's an example of how it would be. When I was first elected in 1992, uh, two blokes and a woman might sit in the pub in Flint and slag me off and mm-hmm. give me a really hard time and say it's doing a terrible job, and I'd never hear about it, right? Because they're in the pub in Flint. Yeah. 
wind forward 23 years, 24 years, and the same two blokes and the woman put on Facebook, David Hansen, what a waste of space, what a terrible thing. And then you have a whole explosion of comments on Facebook and then people saying, well, he voted for this or he didn't do that or I've contacted him about this or the lamppost is still broken. or you know, So you've, you've got all of that, but it's in your face a lot more than it used to be when yeah. it was just in the pub. So that impacts upon your mental health because if you start to get sucked down that rabbit hole of looking at it, you know that that can that can be very difficult to to understand and and you can't never you can never satisfy that that dragon because it will always keep coming back and having discussions with you and trying to you know put pressure on you and and even sometimes now you know false accusations and false rumors can go around on on Facebook that never used to do maybe in the past mm-hmm. because it wouldn't have that level of speed and lightning interaction that it maybe does now so i've had occasions whereby someone said i voted for something in the house of commons on facebook and i didn't i voted the exactly the opposite way but it really? then goes round that you've you, that you voted the 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 wrong way yeah. as far as they're concerned when actually you have you actually have voted a different way but there are people who can spread malicious stuff i've had i've, I've had death threats on facebook I've had death threats uh, on other social media platforms. Okay. I had people spread, you know, spreading false allegations about me on Facebook that I had to threaten legal action with. And all of that, you know, was different than it was maybe 25, 30 years ago when I first got involved, where none of that had the same level of traction as it does does now because of the medium and the way in which that medium can now operate. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a harsh. I mean, that death threats is just is just vile, especially when you yeah, think yeah. of Sir David Amos and Joe Cox. Yeah, no, no. Well, we, we I think it's a, it shouldn't be, and it's it's an appalling thing. But it was part of the job that you know we had we had allocated. I mean, had allocated police officers where we had to phone up if there was activity. You know, the staff in the office had the same sort of challenges. We had people coming to the office and being abusive. Uh, all of those things are, you know, a part of the job, but they're more part of the job than they were 25 years ago. So if you say to me about mental health challenges, it was that side of it that was more difficult, not mm. not the side that you, know, you have to fight an election and win or lose, because you know you would know that. And um, in any cycle, you know, uh, as an MP on a personal basis. Uh, the first two years after an election, I might change the carpets and I might do something you know, else in the house and I might you know, look at things like upgrading the car because I know I'd, I just got elected and I've got a four-year, five-year term ahead of me. The last two years of being an MP in the four-year cycle, we, we, we'd be saving the pennies in case we lost. Yeah. So, um, so what did you used to do to combat that mental health or what do you do now to combat that mental health uh, uh you know, people piling on. Well, you've got, to, you've got to put it into context. I mean, the stuff on Facebook, I just have to deal with and put into context and I have to, you know, refute false allegations, mm-hmm. answer, and then, you know, close down, inverted commas, the discussion as, as best you can in terms of uh, saying, look, you know, if someone doesn't agree with you, uh, I can't help that. I can't help the fact you don't agree with me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my view, and that's what I have to stand for. I, I can't be. I can't be the same for every constituent. I can't agree with sixty-five thousand people or sixty thousand people. No MP can deal with you know, agree with everybody. What I tried to do all the way through was to say, look, I'm doing the best job I can on the issues you raise with me, and if we have political disagreements, then there's a the political disagreement, and don't vote for me at the future election, because that's the way it is. I can't, you know, I can't change me. I can't yeah. be something different. So I have to just close that down. 
and you have to you know mentally you know, compartmentalize yourself to say look you know it, I, I don't take these things personally either because you know I, I didn't take defeat personally i didn't take victory personally it's just part of the job and that's what happens do you remember what your defeat was to rob roberts roughly in, in terms of votes yeah uh, the defeat was about 865 votes. God, he says, remembering it exactly. <laughs> God. <laughs> remembering it exactly. 865 votes. <laughs> oh, no. What 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 are your what are your thoughts on Mr. Roberts? I, 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 I've got no thoughts on him. He can he's he's, he's the member of parliament. Uh, you know, it's entirely up to him how he how he conducts his job and he's conduct his life and I'm doing it I'm doing stuff now that is different to him Um, entirely up to I I have no comments on that I'm doing some politically restricted work now so I don't want to comment on uh, on on current you know political uh, standing of people Uh, it's entirely uh, up to him from from my point of view um, if if I lost I probably lost for two reasons I lost one because people wanted Brexit doing and I wasn't going to do it to the extent they wanted it doing mm-hmm. and secondly people didn't like the leader of the Labour Party as much as they thought they did in the previous election so uh, mm-hmm. I tried to change the leader of the Labour Party um, during the course of the previous two years and I couldn't change my views on where we were on Brexit so it's fair, fair game. True I suppose well um, moving on to that one poll last week showed um, a six-point lead for the Labour Party um, what are your thoughts on Sir Keir Starmer? Well, Keir's got a, got a difficult job because he's starting from a base whereby there's less than 200 Labour MPs, which is even lower than it was uh, in 1983. So he's got a tremendously uh, uphill task to do. And what, what he has to do is to uh, make the case for Labour and uh, you know not just be critical of the government because that's what opposition is supposed to do, but he's also got to make a strong case. And that means for mm-hmm. the Labour Party, um, you know, whatever the government does, we've, we've got to get the Labour, the, he has to get the Labour Party into a place whereby it's credible economically, it's credible politically, and it's uh, in tune and shows that it's slightly changed, uh, if not majorly changed, from where it was in 2019. Hmm. So that, that that's his task. And uh, as I say, I'm, I'm doing a politically restricted work at the moment, so I can't talk too much about you know, current politics, but that's the historic task. And it's the same task that Tony Blair had and Neil Kinnock had. Uh, it's the same task that you know William Hague will have had when he was leader of the Conservative Party or Michael Howard. Hmm. It's about getting their party back into a position whereby they're in touch with what the voters want, what the voters see about the future, and that their party is credible because every opposition leader starts from the basis of they've just lost an election. So, so hmm. they have to you know, retune the party in some way, shape or form, and then Keir's task is to try and do that now. So how did it feel joining his knighted status recently? Congratulations, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah, well, it's very odd. It's not something you ever expected. Again, going back, you know, it's, it's I mean, I'm, I'm going next week. It's, it's, this is uh, mid, uh, mid-November mid again. I'm going next week to Windsor Castle for the investiture ceremony. You know, mm-hmm. you know again, um, it's a long way from a three-bedroom council house in Liverpool. <laughs> it um, is. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, it's uh, it's 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 an honour, and I'm particularly pleased because the honour for me, the, the knighthood was given for political service, and therefore it was a Labour Party nomination. Mm-hmm. And the Labour Party makes about four nominations a year for political knighthoods, you know, New Year's honours list and the birthday honours list. So for me to be recognised by the party I've given my my life to uh, is is very very satisfying. 
you know well deserved and i'm 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 thrilled for you um a lot of a lot of political enemies i don't know if you can talk about this seem to use the title against Zakir starmer though i i don't quite well, you know, understand again, that again it's um I'd, you know it, it, i think you should judge people on the, on the basis of their values mm-hmm. and that's what you need to judge people on their values and um you know if if i happen to be sir david hansen i'm still the same values that i had 30, 20, 10, five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I joined the Labour Party not to be an MP, not to be a councillor, not to be minute secretary, not to be a knight. I joined the Labour Party because I shared the values of the Labour Party. And Keir Starmer um, you know, had a successful career outside of political life, but he's joined the Labour Party you know, well before that political life outside of that life outside of politics existed he joined the Labour Party as a teenager like I did worked his way through had to like I am currently now you know having to be less party political at a certain time in his life mm. but ultimately is you know someone who shares the Labour Party's values and you don't attack people for being a knight you should attack them if you attack them at all you know politically for the values that they expose yeah exactly and I, and I can't I, I so far I've not got any answer on why do you? Why don't you like him? Other than he's a sir, <laughs> or or his name well, no, is Keith. I mean, well, I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, if people if people want to attack someone, then attack them for the values that they expose. And if, if people from the left of the Labour Party or from the Conservatives want to attack the values of Keir Starmer in a political sense, not a physical sense, then that's fair mm. fair game. That's what politics is about. Politics is about saying what you think being attuned to the community you're hoping to represent either nationally or locally and trying to say that you know you're doing a good job in implementing those values and serving the community in a representative um also constituency fashion and to do that is 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 what the job is about being a leader of the labor party or being a local member of parliament and if people say, well, you know, I don't like your view on Brexit, well, that's fine. That's my view on Brexit. If people say, I don't like your view on the health service, that's fine. That's my view on the health service. You're mm-hmm. entitled to a different view. That's what politics is about. But uh, don't attack the person. You know, don't play the, the man. Play the ball. You're an incredibly calm in person to speak to. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to throw a question for, from the other side. Who do you think has been the best Conservative leader in the last 30 years? The best conservative leader in the last thirty years. Well, funnily enough, um, I did thirty because I didn't want to include Mrs. Thatcher. Cause... <laughs> no, well, I, 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 well, actually, see, I mean, it's interesting. You know, for for me, I I I absolutely opposed everything Mrs. Thatcher stood for during the mm-hmm. whole of the nineteen eighties, uh, and fought three three elections, two general and one European, opposing Mrs. Thatcher. But at least I think she knew. I think I think she knows what she wanted, and she was yeah. trying to do things in a way that you know she believed was full of integrity um and i think that that maybe have changed you know since then actually john major uh, deserves more credit than he ever got he had a difficult time and i found him uh, on a personal basis to be personally very amiable personally very supportive personally very helpful to be a, a, a good person um, who had a difficult job and actually had bravery to take on the more challenging aspects of his party when he resigned as leader to stand again in uh, 1995. So uh, if you ask me that question, uh, I'd say John Major. Okay, yeah. Edwina Curry gave me the same answer. I'm only joking. Um, What about about Labour leader then? Who would you say has been the best Labour leader in the last 30 years? 
and that certainly is that's that's to be uh, uh, Tony Blair because um, we went from having no majority to having a massive majority and to delivering and the the three election victories in ninety seven two thousand and one and two thousand and five were Tony Blair victories and that's what's given us power in in government. I mean, the jury's still out on Keir because he's got to, if Keir wins the election, then you're good. And we deliver a radical reform in government, good. Um, I've also got an awful lot of time. I mean, in different ways. Neil Kinnock uh, was heroic, in my view, because in the 1980s, he was taking on Mrs. Thatcher. He was trying to pick up the Labour Party that had been smashed to smithereens in 1983 and preparing the ground for 1992. When he lost in 92, I was devastated. John Smith would have been a great prime minister. He would have won the general election in 96 or 97, yeah. and he would have been a great prime minister. Um, but it fell to him to sadly die, and therefore, you know, Tony to take over. Um, Gordon did a good job. Uh, Ed Miliband did a good job. But again, after an election defeat, is very difficult. Jeremy, I didn't support um, for leader, and... Uh, uh, I think he he, he didn't um, do the business, and that, that's not a, an uncommon view from me about the way in which that performed. But mm. uh, you know, the the most successful Labour Prime Minister in my lifetime is um, is Tony Blair. Tony Blair, yeah. I mean, he did do amazing things. I know he gets a lot of criticism for the Iraq War, um, but you know, he took Labour to three victories, and I, I mean, I... ultimately, politics is about. It's about winning. You know, it's, it's yeah. no use standing on the side of the road, throwing rocks at the Tory tank as it goes past. Exactly. You know, you, you have to be the person who climbs on the tank, rips open the top, gets in and starts driving it. That's mm-hmm. the only way politics is done. And uh, that's what Tony did. And therefore, you know, in my latter lifetime, uh, Tony Blair is the only person who's won a general election. In my younger lifetime, you know, 64 to 66, when I was... Uh, you're going from seven-year-old me through to university me with James Callaghan and, and Harold Wilson. My life has been shaped by them mm. and the politics that they put in place of opportunity, of going to university, of having social housing, of having full employment for my parents, of having a health service that was you know, doing a good job. That, that shaped my life there. But I go back to the 1945 Labour government. You know, Without that 1945 Labour government, I might not even have been here. My mum... You know, had a had a, uh, a very serious illness that if the health service hadn't have been there in 1950 when she became ill I wouldn't have been born you know she would have died and that's only because of the you know, the efforts of previous labor governments so for me that continuance through there's no such thing as a as a bad labor prime minister there's in my view there's only such things as people who don't get elected to be that job in the first place yeah and you mentioned Ed Miliband I remember, um, in my naivety, not liking Ed Miliband, but now I absolutely love him when he has to stand in for Keir Starmer. Well, yeah, wow. part, part of, the, uh, part of the, the, the tactics of any uh, people who want to do the Labour Party down is to do the leader of the Labour Party down. Yeah. And that goes for everything from Jeremy Corbyn to Ed Miliband through to uh, Neil Kinnock, through to Michael Foote, through mm. to Hugh Gateskill from you know, 60 years ago. People try, uh, and by people, I mean you know, aspects of the media, try to put yeah. the Labour leader down because they don't want to see the Labour Party win. And to attack the credibility of the leader is critical in attacking the credibility of the party. 
So do you think there's something to be said for having a bland leader? And I'm not calling Sakia Starmer bland there, um, but he's maybe no. less exciting than maybe Jeremy Corbyn, possibly. Oh, I think uh, I never met Clement Attlee, but I understand he was the blandest of bland people you could ever want to meet. <laughs> uh, but uh, he delivered a health service. He took over public control of ownership of mines and steel and a lot of industry. He made inroads into national parks developments. He created with the Americans, the United Nations. He supported the the developments of social housing and full employment reconstructed Britain, and yet he would be the most sort of uh, unassuming person you could meet. What matters is values and politics. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I've got... And in the modern age, you know, you have to fit the, the bill <laughs> of being uh, televisual and being interesting and exciting. But ultimately, you know, in my view, it's about what are your values? What is your political priorities? And how do you intend to deliver them? And... Uh, that's where we are um, at the moment, and that's that's fine for me. Yeah, I mean, in my view, um, which is biased, <laughs> I am very supportive of, of of Starmer, and I think he would make an amazing PM. I just hope he gets the chance to show that. Yeah, well, it's it's a difficult uh, difficult task because you've got to win something like 150, 60 seats. Hmm. Um, and remember as well, I mean, there's two aspects to this. He has to present a credible Labour Party and a credible yep. alternative and the conservatives have to do the same and it may mm. be that you know um, whatever crises they're going through now uh, who knows who's going to be the prime minister at the next election for the conservatives who knows it might be boris johnson it might be somebody else i mean the the the, the mrs thatcher lesson is there for all to see mrs thatcher had done eight or nine years as prime well actually 12 years as prime minister uh, 11 years as prime minister and then her her uh, stature in the country and in the party was diminishing, and they didn't waste any time in dumping her and bringing in John Major, who managed to win an election. When had Mrs. Thatcher stayed in office, it would have been lost. So, yeah, it's not just about um, the Labour Party; it's all about how the government, the current Conservative government, decide they want to face the next election. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I'm I'm really interested and um, scared for the next ele election because <laughs> I think if if Mr. Johnson is still there, I think we know the way that it will go. Um, no, you never be scared. You've got to just uh, you've got to be proud of what you do. And if uh, if you go down, then that's the way of the world. Um, but you've got to stand up for what you believe in and argue your case. And that, I'd say that to a conservative as well as to any Labour person. You've got to stand up, believe what you believe, state your case, and. Uh, if you lose, take it on the chin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, excited as well. I am excited to see. I, I mean, it would be. It, I'd be extremely excited if they were to call one for next week and see what, see what, see what happened there. But you know, we're, we're, we've got a few years to wait. Well, yet. they won't. Yeah, no, they won't. No, no, uh, especially, um, especially while the polls yeah. have changed. Yeah, no, they won't. They won't. I mean, but the polls are the polls. I mean, I, I, there was a whole period of time between about nineteen eighty six. Um, and 1987, when I was going to be the MP for Delhi in 1987, and I wasn't. Um, mm. There's a whole period of time in 1990, 91, and up to 92, when I wasn't just going to be the MP for Delhi, but I'd be part of the Labour government in 92, and only half of that prediction came true. So the opinion polls are a, a feature of how are things today. They're mm -hmm. not a feature of how are things in three years' time. Yeah, quite sadly. <laughs> Um, what are your hobbies away from political life then? 
I like watching uh, football. I, I, try, I try and uh, watch Liverpool Football Club. What are you going to ask then? Liverpool or Everton? Often, yeah, not very often live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I also have got a pretty big collection. I, I tend to collect political junk, which um, uh, I love doing and I love cataloguing. And uh, I've got a, an Instagram account called In the Cabinet, which anybody wants to follow, they can do, which uh, just puts three pieces of my political memorabilia on online every day and gives a little bit of story about them. So I do that. And then uh, I love going to the cinema, uh, go to the cinema probably once a week if I can, which is more than I've done for many years. And uh, I love watching anything and looking at anything historical. So um, always interested in that. So you'd say your favourite, what, what would you say your favourite channel is on TV then? History or something like that? I like, I, we watch across the board and uh, we'll watch anything that's sort of documentary and, and either history or current documentary. A lot of police stuff as well because uh, I've, uh, I was police minister and we're both interested in, myself and my wife Margaret are interested in uh, policing stuff as well. So we tend to watch all these sort of uh, cop shows and things like that, but mostly history, anything anything historical, anything documentary, anything like that is all, all fine by us. What, what year were you police minister? Sorry? What years were you police minister? I was police minister from 2009 to 2010, the last year of the Labour government. That's the last year that I was yeah. in the police as well. Was it? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. I spent six years in the in the Met. Um, interesting, uh, an interesting time. Uh, yeah, that was when I, I did uh, I did that nine 2009 10, and before that I was justice minister. So I did the uh, criminal justice stuff and prisons and stuff beforehand, and then. Before that, I did Northern Ireland, which involved a bit of policing, a bit of counter-terrorism and a bit of uh, prison policing stuff as well. So uh, it, it, it ended up being a sort of, surprisingly to me, I ended up doing sort of four or five years where I was involved in criminal justice, terrorism, counter-terrorism stuff, policing, prison sentencing and stuff like that, which was uh, was quite interesting. And that's carried on even now because I'm now involved in a couple of charities dealing with uh, criminal justice issues. So are you enjoying um, life out of the political sphere? Out of the political sphere? I'm, I'm political to the day I die. That's true. I will scream at the television and I will be political and I'll be political to the day I die. What I'm not is paid to be political now. Yeah. So, um, But I wasn't paid to be political when I first started, so it's not a problem. I'm, I'm just political. That's what I am. You know. So I'm doing, I'm doing some stuff. I've got... Uh, a couple of things I'm doing with, um, you know, various organisations and doing some voluntary stuff and I'm doing uh, some stuff on criminal justice and I'm doing some, uh, you know, a little bit of training and support for organisations as well. So it's all, it's interesting, but I'm not as busy as I was, you know, three years ago, which is fine. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I feel like I've asked it. you this I'm, before on Twitter many, many moons ago, but would you, would you stand again? I try not to answer that question. Because, <laughs> I knew um, you were going to say that then. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I try heard not the to pause and I thought, because, no. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, try, I genuinely try not to answer that question because uh, uh, I'm 64 years old now. I don't know what's going to happen in three years' time. Um, I, I, you know, we, we just don't know yet. So uh, I, I, I don't want to say yes because it sounds presumptuous. I don't want to say no because it sounds I don't want to do it. Well, both might happen. Who knows? So uh, let's, let's just see what happens. David Hansen for leader. That's, <laughs> that's my prediction. I can tell you now, Richard, that, that certainly is off the cards. That's never going to happen. That's never. never going to happen. Do you, know, do you think, um, what do you think of Angela Rayner? Because I, 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 I feel like she's completely different to Keir Starmer. And is that, do you think that's on purpose? 
And you don't know, I mean, the parties, again, with Angela, I, I, I mean, it's no secret, it's public, I voted for somebody else. I was, I was campaigning for Ian Murray. Hmm. So we, we had different different approaches in life. But Angela, you know, is, is, is a different person with different background, different experiences, mm-hmm. but similar core values to Kia uh, in taking forward. I mean, John Prescott and Tony Blair were two different sides of a, of a similar coin. And Harriet Harman and Gordon Brown were different sides of a, of a political mm-hmm. coin. You know, uh, uh, Ernie Bevin and Clement Attlee were different sides of a political coin. Um there's a role for the leader. There's a role for the deputy. They're held together by you know, a broad spectrum of values within which they fall, and they have different tasks. And uh, you know, Angela's task will be to motivate the party, eat lots of rubber chicken, go out there and get things moving, and try and campaign on the ground. And Keir has a more strategic policy, political role as well in in Parliament and outside. So. And that's what happens in, in parties. When I was involved in pre-97, John Prescott was very much an Angela Rayner-type figure mm. and focused on campaigning, and Tony Blair focused on making Labour credible. And that, I see that as the same task today, really. Yeah. Was he from Chester, John Prescott? Born in Prestatyn originally, oh, okay. um, and then uh, he moved to Chester. But uh, in the 1987 general election, I took him to his house where he was born in Prestatyn. So uh, <laughs> his dad was a railwayman in Prestatyn, and John was born in uh, number 10 Norton Avenue. There you go, Prestatyn. You know, maybe, maybe the person that lives there now might be listening. Like, you know. Well, we, we went round and we did knock on the door at the time. I don't know who's there now, but uh, Google 10 Norton Avenue. That's, that's Prescott's house. It's a little bungalow in Prestatyn. Do you know what? He always seemed like a good, a good laugh, to be fair. <laughs> John, yeah, John, John was always very good and very committed. I, I knew John because John was MP for Hull East. Mm. So I knew John when I was at university. And um, I often say to people, you know, again, you know, judge people as you find them, when you find them, because you never know where they're going to end up. And, uh, you know, John, John, I, I would be a student at university, and I asked several favours of John as a student, an elected student at university, and John never hesitated to do what we asked of him and also to actually do what we asked of him, not just to say he'd do what we'd do and never do it. He actually did what he said he'd do. So I had a lot of time for John from well before he was leader, deputy leader of the Labour Party and uh, gave him my, my support for him in his campaign to be deputy leader of the Labour Party. Because yeah. um, you know, as, as a little, uh, little 18, 19-year-old student, John Prescott uh, treated me fairly and with respect and uh, did what we asked him to do. I tell you what I couldn't believe until well actually you've just you just I suppose confirmed it that you would know but they were talking about him last week giving up his two jags and when they said his age I thought he's not that old surely. So well John's John's born in 1938 so he would be Bloody 83. Hell. So uh, again he's had difficult health in the last couple of years and mm. I, I personally haven't seen him since um, before 2019. Mm. But um, you know he, he he's uh, he did a good job and. Um, He's come a long way, and uh, and he's obviously still committed to the Labour Party, still in the House of Lords, and uh, his health's recovered sufficiently for him to go along and uh, give him both barrels verbally at the COP conference um, last week. Speaking of doing a good job, I miss you as our MP, and I hope, upon hope, that when I asked if you'd stand again and you went quiet, that that might mean a glimmer of hope for Delin Ward. Um 
I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna end it now so you can go off and enjoy because I think the sun's going in. Um, you know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be that warm anyway, but you know, it's still nice in the sun to look across to the Wirral and and I'm gonna daydream about your view because I can't see that. All I can see is hills around here. But thank you so much for uh, for joining me today, and um, have an amazing day when you go down to Windsor. Well deserved. Yeah, I should. Thanks, Richard. Enjoyed it.